There's a man I think you've heard of His name was Martin Luther King Well, he wanted a world of peace and love He said, I have a Francis Kuzimik was a poet and professor of education and someone passionate about the power of language. He taught in Norway, Ukraine, Ghana, and Lithuania, and he believes stories could bring us together and make the world better. He writes, Why is Martin Luther King Jr. important for the classroom? The fact that his birthday is now celebrated as a national holiday is beside the point. It's easy to honor individuals in a superficial fashion while ignoring the deeper meaning of their lives and actions. No, children and young adults should not explore King's life because he's been recognized and honored on a national level. Rather, they should explore his life because he is a model of the individual who's committed to making life a little better for everyone. A model of the concerned individual who is willing to act directly upon that commitment. While the specific details of King's life may be of greater or lesser importance in the classroom, the underlying fact was that he was a drum major for justice, and that's of utmost importance. This is what we want children to know and respect about King. It is, quite frankly, immaterial for them to remember all the little details concerning his life. But this is precisely what much of the commercially published teaching materials on King ask students to do and thus a modern moral hero becomes simply another worksheet or classroom exercise. King is important for students because his life offers them a model of how to be moral in the world. When King says that he has a dream of little black boys and girls joining hands with little white boys and girls and walking together as brothers and sisters, he's affirming the circles and chains of mutuality and care that link us together. words of the late poet and professor of education, Francis Kazimek. Daria Mamaluk Hajwanu is an educator from the Lehigh Valley who has traveled the world. She is an award-winning singer-songwriter who believes passionately in the power of language and stories to bring us together. She has traveled the world to learn stories and music in exchanges that she shares then with children and the rest of us. She has a recently released album of songs to honor her grandparents who were immigrants in the anthracite fields. She dedicated the album to telling the stories that her grandparents didn't have time to tell in their shortened lives and the stories of the people who were like them in those hard times and occupations. Daria dropped in at the WVIA studios with her dulcimer to talk with us about the importance of music in our lives and especially in the lives of children. She performs many traditional tunes from around the world, but she writes her own too. We began by asking when she first had a sense that she could write a song. I think that was really young, you know, because I was listening to a lot of folk music. And I think the thing about folk music was that you were expected to also be right. You know, all the young people, they would cover each other's, you know, the Joni Mitchell, the Joan Baez, the Huit Axton, the Tom Paxton. They would always cover someone else. But then they go, this is my song. And I go, that's a really good song. So I guess I subconsciously said, I want to be like them. I want to cover songs I love. I want to sing the songs that are special. 
But heck, when I have a feeling, I just saw that the only place that would ever be green in the future would be a golf club. So that, I think that was one of my first songs about, uh, about ecology. It was terrible. But it was saying, I thought, I have something to say. It's like, I don't want the only green space to be the local golf club. Please give us our parks. <laughs> you have continued your sense of the importance of social justice. You have a song for Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, I love that. I reached a point where every year I read the whole I Have a Dream speech because if you haven't read it in a while, the I Have a Dream is a gorgeous part, but there's so much in there that is still so relevant 50 years on. And I carry a book with me, which is the the speeches and sermons, because, you know, you often get stuck waiting somewhere. And I just, I am in awe of the things, the patience he had, the kindness he had in the face of things that were 20, 40, 50, 100 times worse than things I faced and lost my patience with. So these are the people I feel like when I'm lost, I can pick that book up or I can reread or I can now... And I wanted kids to know that because January Martin Luther King Day came along. So I guess I challenged myself. I said, I want there to be a song that just boils down this really kind of complex worldview into something that's singable so that it would kind of intrigue people, intrigue the children. Okay, I know he's a hero, but also I have a dream. And if we work together, we can all be kings and queens. I wanted kids to know and be curious about him. And so I specifically wanted to write something that I thought would be very singable. And it's used a lot by choirs, which which makes me feel like, okay, I hit that one on the mark. And we have someone not originally from this area, but someone who worked so hard on behalf of working people, working women especially, Min Matheson, who is a legend here anyway, and she had so much the respect of the women who were in the ILGWU. And you have been intrigued by her? Very much so. On my album, Come From a Coal Town, I wrote about my grandfather, who I never got to meet. So I guess my challenge was, how do you write a love song to someone you've never met? And then it took me about four months to find the right way to say what I wanted to say. But then I thought, oh, I don't have a song from my grandmother, Mary, who was an IGLWU dressmaker. And I started to research and I I couldn't believe I didn't really know the story of Min Mathis and being so close, being so associated. And I also, in reading the history, I didn't realize that once the coal mines began shutting down, in other words, there was a view that, oh, look, there's a lot of labor willing to work cheaply. So as the coal mines kind of went it went backwards, then the dress factories popped up and often women would be supporting the family where the husband had been before. And she really understood that her history in organizing, her father being an organizer, her brother being an organizer and being killed. She was one tough cookie and she she would not accept less than the best. And, you know, it's women like that that make you say they made our, our community better. I want to be like that. And she was someone, too, and it's getting back to what you started with. She wanted her women to have that sense of self-assurance and respect, self-respect. And she knew how hard it was if the women of the union were the breadwinners and the husbands were not, and how much that could cause tension and strife in the homes and so forth. Absolutely. And I think she was the first one that paid attention to second shift. I'm working that job. Then I got to go home and do all the things I was doing before. 
but now I'm doing it before I get exhausted, fall asleep and get up and have to work. Which also brings me to another song on the album, Babies in the Mill. And that was about child labor. And I know some of my uncles had worked in the breakers and thankfully didn't get hurt there. But looking into child labor and then reading, um, oh my goodness, there was a wonderful book by a woman from Moscow, Pennsylvania, Susan Bartoletti. Campbell Bartoletti. Yes. Yeah, she, you know, reading her, there were so many accounts of child labor specifically right here. And it was just shocking. And I had learned a song from a mentor of mine, Hetty West, the banjo player from Pipestem, West Virginia. She always sang Babies in the Mill. And that song, I always liked the song, but until I got to be a parent, realizing what it would be like, because the chorus is, get out of bed, little sleepyhead, and get you a bite to eat. The factory whistle's calling you. There's no more time to sleep. Well, when you're a parent, that really hits you. That there's no time for, that there's no time for school. You have to learn to spin and spool, and to think that that I kind of have to get my children up at the break of day, and then send them off through the snow, and knowing that if they did the wrong thing, they'd be kicked or pushed around. That song was just so beautifully written, and when I started to think about my grandfather, my grandmother, and and everyone's experience and child labor came up too. And obviously like thinking of Mother Jones and the, was it the walk of children? She had all the children come around so so people could understand what child labor was like. Can you tell us how or show us how the Min Matheson song begins? Well, I have my dulcimer here and I hope I remember. <laughs> oh, so the first line is when the mines were closing down and jobs were going away. There came so many dress factories with way too little pay. And when I was reading about men, it kind of explained the exodus of the mines and then the coming of the dress factories. So it all started to kind of make sense in terms of what was happening economically and how people were, good people were coping, but these were crushing circumstances. And it it doesn't miss me that people are living in crushing circumstances now, that this is not just a history and interesting, that we're really still facing some tough challenges now, and it's time to really respect the working man and woman. When the mines were closing down and jobs were going away, there came so many dress factories with way too little pay and women had to work and then we had to fight for safe and fair conditions against things that just weren't right you know when i'm at home I take care of all my kin, but someone's got my back at the factory, so I'll be standing up with men. <laughs> and I love the one line I put in the song that one of the mob bosses was doing a false organizer. He basically said, join my union, and he was taking the dues. So there was the ladies' garment workers' unit, and then there was the mob boss. And at one point, the mob boss came to her, and, and instead of speaking with her, she said, where's your husband? And her response was quick and swift. I'm twice the man you'll ever be. And I just thought that, that she knew who she was. She knew how important her work was, and she would not be belittled by someone or made to feel afraid by being organized crime. She still had that 
focus in her mind that we all need to have. What am I doing? How do I do it better? Because not everyone understands. It's a very confusing time. People think this and that, and I think we have to stay focused. How do we make things better for everyone in a spirit of equity, dignity, respect? You know, how do we not break each other apart? How do we build each other up? You know, and these are all common threads through Martin Luther King, but through all these great heroes, they've told us that this is the way to go. And all I want to do is walk in that way. You know, I think that's a lifetime struggle is how to hold compassion and hope while still acknowledging the struggle and the difficulty and how to not let the darkness overcome the light. And that's, isn't that the solstice and the new year? That, that the darkness exists, but it will be overcome by light and it will continue and the circle will keep going. So how do we lift our circle up so that the next generation has an easier time around that bend? So for you, music is so much a key. You couldn't do what you do without music. Absolutely. It's just my, it's a vehicle. And I just feel blessed, too, that I have multiple languages. My father spoke a lot of languages because he translated for his father in the coal mine. And I'm very thankful that I always understood that it was important to know many, many languages. He spoke Russian, Ukrainian, um, Polish, he spoke German. And it was, was something I really, truly admired about him is that he could, he could get around in so many languages. And having that expectation meant it was easier to learn, you know, to just absorb languages and you know think of this. And I mean, we live in a big world with many different tongues. The more you know, I tell children, the more languages you know, the more friends you can have, the more people you can communicate with. Because many children are told, don't speak Spanish. You want to speak English or don't speak, don't speak Quechua, speak Spanish. You know, that there's the dominant language is the best language. No. And all the scientific studies prove that a child that speaks two or more languages has a more flexible and adaptable brain. And we need that. We need that. I mean, aside from also being able to read in another language or sing in another language or communicate in it, I mean, just to be able to understand they aren't just different words. They're different ways of seeing the world. It just expands your view in in the most amazing way. And the languages you mentioned, each one has its own musicality without singing, right? Oh, absolutely. And tones and in Quechua, if if two people are speaking that are close, the pitch goes higher and then and they're more diminutive. So you can immediately know by passing two women if they're close or if they're having a very formal conversation. And those are the wonderful ins and outs of language. You know, when you're saying my little friend to my little house and, and it was it was a little little while. <laughs> You know that they're two people or that they come from the same village because there's certain things they'll say together. You know, it's it's just wonderful. It gives you so many keys to what's going on. And I just can't emphasize enough how much learning the languages that are in your life are important, no matter what they are, whether it's from your uncle or from your aunt or your mother. If you're a blended family and one comes from Indonesia, reach back, grab that language. Don't let it die. Once it's gone, it's gone. You know, we need to continue and keep keep growing it. Now tell us how our listeners can find you on the web and what they'll find when they get to your website. <laughs> well, the website has a lot of just different resources about world music, and not just the places I've lived, but the places I've had some form of communion with, you know, so you can color instruments all the way from India 
or from China or from Asia, but also from Peru, the charango that's made out of an armadillo, you know, to just discover this exciting way of seeing the world. Well, why would you do that? Well, the um, Spanish had brought mandolins and they didn't really have a lot of wood in Peru because once you go to the high altitude, there's no trees. So they used the shells of armadillos. Now you see a charango from Peru or Bolivia, you turn it around and there's the little hairy back of your uh, of your armadillo. But it's one of those things I show people because it gets a child's interest. And then the next point is everyone loves music, but we all make it differently. We make it with what we find around us and also with what we find inside ourselves. And that encourages kids to think about themselves as a creator of music. And it's fun. So the website has that. It has links to, you can listen to me on Spotify and iTunes, all the platforms. And, uh, you know, I just encourage you, especially find something you love. And I always wanted to make music for children like Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie did. It was done with a heart. It was done not by talking down to them. And that was what I heard in my heroes. They made music that I don't care if you're 60 or 80 or 40 or one, you can sit there and go, tumba la laika, tumba la laika, or whatever it was that you could sit and enjoy it. And none of it was was talking down. It wasn't baby language. It wasn't gobbledygook. It was music that respected your developmental level, but with great joy, you know, and that's what I was always, hopefully people will, they will see it in there that it's, there is some silliness like we all have. But I'm really, I'm excited about this generation of performers because they really get kids. They really love, it's coming, it's coming from the same place that a Mr. Rogers came from. He got kids. He wasn't trying to make, you know, a type of show that would, that would be silly for kids or be on for five or 10 years. From his heart of hearts, he really wanted to be their friend and their neighbor. And I'm excited that so many musicians now are, are taking that approach in so many languages. And it's just expanding. The world is, in certain ways, getting better and better. And I'm trying to focus on, on that in light of all the other difficulties we have. And if teachers are listening and the world opens up? Oh, absolutely. I go to do school assemblies. I do in-class workshops with instruments. I do songwriting for kids. In fact, during the pandemic, I reached out around the world and I did free workshops for kids in songwriting. And one of the kids in Australia, they were immigrant children to Australia, were determined to write a song about COVID. And I had been steering everybody away from it, thinking that songwriting would be kind of a, a happy break from the worry and concern. They they just kept focusing back and I said, okay, fine, we're going to write it. They wrote a song called Thanks to the Doctors and Nurses for Bringing Us Medicine and Saving Our Lives. I see the doctors helping all the people. They're coming with bandages and kindness inside of them. And this reflected their experience in Australia. And it was so beautiful. We basically kind of put that together in the form and it's in, I decided with their permission, record it. And that'll come out next February. It's called Thanks to the Doctors and Nurses for bringing us medicine for saving our lives. And it's an honor. It's just a way to honor them for this kind of thankless, hard, grueling, get back up and do it again. And I thought a lot about that in the coal mining songs. Well, coal miners were one of the first essential workers. You wanted heat, you needed coal. So these people got up, you know, six days a week, 12, 14 hour days underground. In the winter, they didn't see the sun. They got up when it was dark. They came home when it was dark and they worked thanklessly. And I guess 
in releasing that song, thanks to the doctors and nurses, I want people to know that they're seen and they're appreciated and that I hope the honesty of those children's voices, thank you. One of their last lines is, we walk out of darkness and into the light. And how can an eight or a 10-year-old write a line like that? But that was what they felt. Thank you, doctors. Thank you, nurses. You know, we now walk out of darkness. Now there is health. Now there is happiness. We walk out of darkness and into the light. Thanks to the doctors. Thanks to the nurses for bringing us medicine, saving our lives. So I'm excited about essential workers and and that kids can get a voice in in saying what was important to them. To the doctors, thanks to the nurses for bringing us medicine, saving our lives. Daria Marmaluk Hazwanu, an educator from the Lehigh Valley and an award-winning singer-songwriter who believes, as we heard passionately, in the power of language and stories to bring us together. She has traveled around the world to learn stories and music, and she brings them back to share with children and the rest of us. You can learn more at dariamusic.com, D-A-R-I-A music.com, dariamusic.com. And she talked with us about her newest CD titled Come From a Cold Town. It was recorded in honor of her grandfather, who was an immigrant mine worker from the Central European countries, and he settled here in the Anthracite region and worked in the mines. We walk out of darkness and into the light. Thanks to the Thanks to the doctors and the nurses, a song to be released on February 11th. Daria Mamaluk Hajwanu, dariamusic.com. For more information, check the website or Facebook. And we have a little bit of this song that she just told us about, about the young children in Australia. Saving our 